on. Let's thank the Lord for each other. Well, last Sunday morning during the service, Kathy got a text and said, your mother is no longer eating or drinking. Um, she's a very old woman in a bed. So I got on a plane Monday morning to go see her. I got in San Francisco about um, 4 p.m. and I got a text from Kathy. Mom had slipped in the arms of Jesus around 2.30 a.m. that morning. But we had prayed three things for my mom. That she would not die in pain, she would not die in fear, and she would not die alone. And all those prayers were answered. She was not in pain, she was not in fearful. In fact, my son-in-law, Steve, who some of you know as Dr. Martin from Loyong, he was there singing to her, and it was 2.30 in the morning, and he said, I was just singing to her, and she got very peaceful. And he said, I started singing one day, which is one day in your courts, is it better than a thousand elsewhere? And he said, she just slipped away. She was born in 1923. Her mother was born in 1889. And her brother was born in 1862 when Abraham Lincoln was still president of the United States. And I remember my great-grandmother sitting there, and she had this uh, Coke, and she put a big scoop of ice cream in it, and she let me eat it. So that was my, one of my first treats that I can remember as a boy. Uh, every night that I can remember as a small boy, my mother would say my prayers. There were her prayers, but she would sit by my bed and pray for me. And it's just a reminder to all of us with small children, you can't start too young praying with them, leading them to Jesus. Now actually, Jesus didn't really preach the gospel, gospel to my heart until I was 20 years old. But I grew up in an environment where my heart had been prepared by the Holy Spirit to receive him at his appointed time. And also, when you see the mortality of someone, and it reminds us that in all of eternity, we only have one opportunity to walk by faith, and that's today. You will never, we'll never get this again. Once we pass to the other side, <laughs> there's no faith, nothing, because everything is seen. It's actually there. It's the fact that we don't see it today, that we have this privilege and great opportunity to walk by faith. Okay, on the first Sunday of every month, we have been going through Christ's Sermon on the Mount, and we've been in Matthew 5 for a long time. Seems that we can't seem to get out of it. Uh, the whole Sermon on the Mount is founded and based on Matthew 5, 3, the first verse. And Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And who are the poor in spirit? Actually, everybody's poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are those who understand their poverty. They understand that apart from him, they can do nothing. Apart from him, that, that they will wither as a branch detached from the vine. Apart from him, nothing happens. But those who understand their poverty, who understand their need for him, come to him and ask him, first of all, for his salvation that he purchased, and then second of all, that he would continue to live his life through them. On that, the whole three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount rest on understanding our poverty, our need for him. The antithesis is pride. Pride doesn't recognize our need for him. It recognizes our own sufficiency, our independence. And what did pride precede? Pride preceded the fall of Lucifer. 
it precedes us constantly falling. God abases the proud and uplifts the humble. Okay, last time we ended with 21 and 22. You've heard it has been said you shall not kill or murder, and whosoever murders shall be in danger of the judgment. But he goes on to say, but I say that whosoever is angry with his brother is in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, you idiot, is in danger of the council, and whoever says to his brother, you fool, is in danger of the fires of hell. Now, what we discussed last time was Jesus was taking God's law, God's view of man to a whole other level. Because at this time, the Jews related to God only through a system of laws, and they thought that outwardly we keep these laws, we're fine. But Jesus took it to a whole new level. He said, if you just so much as are angry with your brother, it's as though you had murdered him. If you so much as look on a woman to lust after her, it's as though you did it. So he takes the standard way, way up. Where, where basically the answer is, well, who could, who could make that? And the answer is, nobody can. And that's why we have a Savior. That's why we celebrate what we did today, because he who knew no sin became sin. He washed us white as snow, that we may be one with him. This is what he purchased for us. Okay, but I want to continue to visit that verse. He says, whosoever is angry with his brother is in danger of the council. Whosoever says to his brother, you fool, you idiot. Danger of the fires of hell. Okay, so what does usually follow anger? Words. What causes anger? When you get angry, when I get angry, what causes anger? Well, what causes anger is when we are abiding in something, when we are looking to something to give us life, to give us meaning, to satisfy us, that is blocked by another person or blocked by an event. And when that happens, we become frustrated. This is a need we have for this thing or this event. And when we become frustrated, one of two things can happen. We either become apathetic, which means, oh, it doesn't really matter, or we become angry. Now, Jesus didn't discuss apathy in this verse, so we're not either. But apathy is absolutely just as dangerous as anger. It just looks a little different. But we become angry. And then when we become angry, what typically happens? We open our mouths and we say something very negative about someone or to someone directly. Have you ever been angry at your spouse? Did you say something nice to them? Have you ever been angry with your children? Did you say something nice to them? Did they see joy and peace in the Holy Spirit? No. Because anger flows from a situation that we are abiding in something that we need, we want, and it just got frustrated, and we just have this knee-jerk reaction. So what is the cure for anger? Well, we must confess that we're abiding in things other than Father. You know, nothing wrong with having desires. Desires are good. You know, you can desire that your children do well in school. You can desire that your wife straightens the house from time to time. You can desire that your husband be a spiritual leader or that your husband takes time with the children or that your husband does this or does that. Those desires are fine. But once those desires become goals, then it becomes about us. 
And when our children fail in school, and our goal is them for not to fail, typically, they get to live with our frustration. And the same with a wife, whose husband really would like to see the house from time to time straightened up. Of course, here this doesn't happen because everybody has IEs. But in the old days, when they didn't know if you live in North America, it's frustration. And we hurt each other with our lips. With our lips we bless, with our lips we curse. So, if you and I have issues with anger, we need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, what am I clinging to? What am I abiding in? That when that is frustrated, that I have these reactions. Confess it and go on. Ask the Lord to give us the grace to abide in Him and not in anything of this world. That when those things move us and those things break and those things don't work, we can respond in power and of love and the soundness of mind. Let me tell you about children. Do you want your children to succeed? The best way for your children is, are able to succeed is for you to challenge them forward. But when they fail, they feel no rejection. You give them the freedom to fail, and then you just again encourage them and put them on. Most people can't not succeed to their potential because they are criticized when they fail. Allow a person to fail. Allow your children to fail but then always encourage them. Allow your husband to fail. Allow your wife to fail. But just encourage them, encourage them. Speak life. With our lips we bless, with our lips we curse. He goes on to say, the next verse, Therefore, if you come before the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Agree quickly with your adversary when you are with him on the way, lest at any time your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge to the jailer and you be cast into prison. He says, truly I say to you, you shall not come out till you have paid the last penny. If you come before the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, go get reconciled. Now what's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that we have a vertical relationship with Father, we have a horizontal relationship with our fellow man. And if this horizontal relationship with our fellow man is not in good order, it affects our vertical relationship with Father. Now, in absolute terms, if we are not at peace with our brother, it doesn't affect our positional relationship with our Father because positionally we are sons, we are daughters if we have accepted Christ into our life and there's nothing we can do to change the fact that we're sons or daughters. When the prodigal left, he did not become a, he did not not become a son. He was just as much a son when he was living with the pigs and living with harlots that he was when he came home. He never lost that relationship but he did lose the relationship of oneness fellowship with the Father. And that's what he's telling us here, is if we come before the altar and remember that a brother or sister, we have done something or not done something that's hurt them and harmed them, and they're holding something against us, we need to go and be reconciled to them before we come and offer our gift at this table this morning or any time we pray. Now, about some years ago, I was reading this verse, and I said, well, Father... Is there anybody who's holding anything against me? Is there anybody? And I kind of waited. And he gave me the names of three people. 
and they were ex-business partners of mine. Years ago, I was in the rock and roll music business, and uh, we had this recording company, and we had a, a booking agency where we booked bands. The booking agency was what was very profitable. Then we took the profits in that and put it in the recording company to make these records that most times didn't make it, but we did have one hit. Number 13 in the United States when I was 21 years old. But I ran the booking agency and the manager of this particular rock band that was the hit, he invited me to come with him and bring the agency with me. And you know what? I did. I basically took away the profitable part of the business from my partners. I was not, this was a few months before I became a believer. Well, actually, I guess it was a, can't remember the logistic. I know I wasn't a believer. Maybe I was a little younger. Okay, Father, do I really need to go to those people? He said, yes. And I hadn't seen any of them for over 15 years, maybe 20 years. So I called each one on the phone. I said, could we meet? And they said, yes. The first one I met, he said, I said to him, you know, I've I become a Christian since I saw you. I was reading this passage. If you come before the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, go be reconciled, then come and offer your gift. And I said, you know what? I sinned against you when I took that agency. Would you forgive me? He said, oh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. And I called the second one, and I went through the same thing. I said, you know, I've become a believer. I've read this scripture, and I'm coming to you. I'm obeying the scripture. Would you forgive me? He said, yes, but no big deal, but no big deal. But then I went to the third, and I said, I've become a Christian. I read the scripture. Would you forgive me? And he said, yes. And he said, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for asking and you know what? When we ask someone's forgiveness, there's no greater way to show another person that we care for them, that we love them. Because you don't ask people's forgiveness unless you care for them and you love them. Now, I did in that case have obedience, but still I love God and God loved them. So this can be applied to business associates. This can be applied to husbands and wives. You know, when the night comes, don't go to sleep without saying, would you forgive me? I got frustrated today. The scripture says if a man does not live peaceably with his wife, his prayers will be hindered. It's the same principle. If we have problems in the horizontal, we will have problems with Father. And he wants us to be able to come before him clean every day, every night. Because we know that to the best of our knowledge, we have asked forgiveness to those who have been hurt by the manifestations of not Jesus, but the manifestations of our flesh. Jesus goes on to say, you've heard that it has been said you should not commit adultery, but he said, I tell you, who so much as looks on a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. I think it's implied he would also say, and whosoever looks upon a man lustfully has committed adultery in her heart, and then I'd say, whatever man looks upon another man lustfully has committed adultery in his heart, and whatever woman looks upon another woman lustfully has committed adultery in her heart. And then if you look at John, 1 John, he says, whosoever looks at a car lustfully 
has committed adultery in his heart. Whosoever looks at a house lustfully has committed adultery in his or her heart. Whosoever lusts after anything of this world has committed adultery. Lust is a deep, intensive desire to possess something or to consume something. It goes way beyond the sexual implications of the verse. It's basically lust, lust not. And he says, so therefore, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's better for you that one of your members perish than that your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand offends you, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's better for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that we must radically deal with those things that cause us or tempt us to lust. In our flesh dwells no good thing. Our flesh does lust. But our new man lusts only after God. But if we take our eyes and set them on the things of this world and long for the things of this world, then we will lust for the things of this world. You know, if a guy picks up a Playboy magazine and starts reading it, what's he going to say? Well, I'm going to read this, but I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to sin. I just want to read the articles in it. You know, play with fire. You know, when, when temptations knock on the door, you got a little peephole in your door. If you look through that peephole and you see it's a temptation, and then you say, get behind me, Satan, you're good. But if you look through the peephole and, and see the temptation, you say, well, I'm not going to give in, but I'm going to let him in the door. You just open the door let him come and sit in your living room. And then you sit there and fight temptation for, you know, an hour or two. I was with a guy last week. He said, you know, every Friday night, every Friday night, he says, I just go dark. He says, I just, I just entertain these thoughts. He said, I don't do anything, but I entertain these thoughts. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Do radical measures upon yourself. You know, one of the prayers I pray every day is, Father, guard my eyes that they not behold things worth less than you. Things that are attractive. That I would not behold things worth less than him or things that are attractive. This world is full of many attractive things. It's full of attractive women. It's full of attractive cars. It's full of attractive houses. You know, if I look down, go down the street and I see this, you know, Maserati at McDonald's, if I look at that Maserati and say, oh, that's a neat car. Well, then, I, then my thought would go, well, maybe I'll go back to North America. And, you know, I don't go much, but I'll still buy one and put it over, a, you know, and keep it at my friend's house. And when I go back, you know, three or four times a year, I'll drive that. What a waste of thought. Because the greatest gift you and I have are our minds. And our minds are to be stayed on him. And as we abide in him, that is the cure for our anger. And that is also the cure for our temptation. Because when we abide in him, he abides in us. And we're told in Romans 6 that as many have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death, and he who is dead is freed from sin. And as we have that union with him in his death, Romans 6 also tells us we also are united with him in his resurrection, that we should walk in newness of life. 
So we have the renewed life of Christ in us. And as we abide in him, temptations still come, but those temptations are not tempting. If I tell you to go put your hand in a buzzsaw, is that tempting? No. If I tell you to go put your hand in boiling water, is that tempting? No. Temptation by its very definition means it has to be appealing. We're told that Jesus in every way was tempted as we are, but without sin. But to be tempting to Jesus, whether that was sexuality or power or position or whatever, it had to be appealing. But he said no. But then he was crucified and resurrected, and from the time that Jesus rose from the dead, those 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus couldn't be tempted because you cannot tempt a man who's been dead. He broke the power, the dominion of sin. As a man, he lived under the dominion of sin. Sin no longer had dominion over him. And the good news, brothers and sisters, is we abide in him. Sin no longer has a dominion over us. Yes, a tempting thought may come. You and I will not outlive tempting thoughts. But they're no longer any more tempting than a buzzsaw or boiling water. And that, brothers and sisters, is very good news. Let us close in prayer. Not the service, but this. Father, we... Thank you um, for the Lord Jesus who so clearly taught us um, the relationship we need to have with you. We, we need to come to you as he did. He said himself, apart from you, Father, I can do nothing. I, my meat is to do the will of the Father. I, he who has seen the Father has seen me. The words I speak are not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The words that I do are not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Uh, Father, we thank you for the example of our Lord Jesus and pray that you would give us the, the grace to to enter into that same place of dependence, that same uh, brokenness of spirit, to abide in you, that he would abide in us. And I pray for each of these, uh, my brothers and sisters today, that you would fill us with your spirit as we go out into this new week, Father, uh, to truly abide in you, that you would abide in your life, your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your meekness, your self-control, your very life would flow through us into a very dark and fallen world. And we make this prayer in the name of Christ. Amen.